Welcome to episode two of Hemispheres. Uh, Tori, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be back. Good to be back. And uh, with us today is the one and only Asura, also known as Ente... <laughs> Ente Hubaya. Hubaya? Yeah, sorry, I, I don't want to mispronounce your name. Thank you for joining Thanks. us. You have my, my, my fake... Uh, my fake Facebook name. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, we won't reveal your real identity. Those are <laughs> all fake names, pseudonyms. But yeah, thanks. We we have been already chatting, and that's good. Uh, I think it um, there's a lot of topics you brought up already that I had written down that we 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 spoke about in our very long first episode. Right. That. Um, Maybe we can, we can try to hone in on, especially with Asura's perspectives. Um, but the first thing I want to, if you're comfortable with it, these are the kind of things I, I, I wrote down just because of what I know about you, is your background, I think, anyone's background sort of shapes their thinking and um, their experiences shape who they are what they value so you were uh, born in Mongolia your family were refugees to Austria uh, when you were young Um, and you you were just saying you you did all these kinds of amazing things as a as a kid in terms of uh, exploring mathematics chess I'm Asian, by the way, and if you couldn't tell. <laughs> well, <laughs> born in Mongolia to Mongolian parents. True, no, true. Not to Austrian parents who are like <laughs> diplomats there. That's, that's, let's talk about your identity. <laughs> no. Who are you, Asura? No, I, I, and, and, uh, and obviously, you know, there's a famous uh, movie out there with starring Asura as a... Oh, God, yeah. As a... Probably, you know, I, I was obsessed with martial arts films when I was a kid. And I think if I saw that when I was watching all those like kung fu and ninja films, I would have, uh, you would have been like one of the, I would have had your poster on my bedroom wall idolizing you. You were the hero of that movie, of that short film. Everyone should see that. This is the whole plug of this whole thing is to plug your little short film. <laughs> True. I should actually uh, I introduce myself in the like in the future. Introduce myself as like actor, singer, songwriter, right. instead of um, suffering PhD student. Oh, you've been just been in a in a music video too. I've been a, true, true. I guess I am an actor. You have a portfolio yeah. at this point. And anyway, you did a lot of these things. Uh, explored a lot of. We've been talking about creativity, and uh, I think that's a very interesting word a definition mm. it means different things i think we're discussing this um it has a lot of weight to this word it does and i think it was really you consider yourself a creative person that's i think a good question yeah exactly it's it's i would have answered this question with probably no until quite recently because of as you mentioned as a, uh, when i was younger in school um i was kind of like the cliche nerd i guess even though i shall also remark at that uh, in this at this point that i was the cool nerd um who also liked to party and dance (laughs) 
but there was definitely kind of like I was you know academically inclined I would do maths and um, play chess um, and it just kind of like ends up shaping uh, your own identity so for a very long time I just didn't consider myself as a kind of like traditionally creative person as in an artist who I, I don't know makes music paints acts or um, pursues any of the the arts um, but yeah it was more in the more in, in the recent years that I realized that I think the first time I realized it was um, uh, when I kind of like ended up thinking about why I like to code um, and reading about other people who are talking about coding as a creative practice and that was when I realized that a lot of the things that I actually do enjoy doing um, have to do with mostly creativity um, of kind of like, you know, exploring ideas, um, exploring new ways of doing things, um, just playing around with things. So that kind of applied to coding, but it also even um, the kind of research I was drawn to, it always changed. I did engineering. I then ended up trying like giving like physics a try. Um, I, I did cognitive science, um, which I dropped out of. And now in Vancouver here, I, ended, I started doing a lot more philosophy and communication. Um, so overall, that has always been a pattern, like all over the place, just trying new things. Um, and I did, yeah, there was a moment of realization that this can, in a way, just be summarized as like being really committed to creativity and like actually just kind of like, I guess, following a creative process of and kind of you were just saying, um, Tori, the idea of measurement. It just, all of these things that I just described about education, trying different things, end up kind of like, there's a connotation of that it's bad because we want to measure it, we want to evaluate it, we want to evaluate it typically like in, in very like quantitative and like numerical ways. Mm -hmm. um, but once you leave that out, I kind of realized, actually, I think I'm comfortable describing myself as a creative person yeah. but you you obviously see value in being creative right absolutely it's yeah. that's I think one of the big things which also gets me in trouble is I think I would even say there's 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 the value lies in absolute creativity of kind of like there's let's just not measure it even so the thing I've been kind of obsessed over is the idea of playing and I think there's a little bit of, uh, again, like a, a connotation that playing is bad because it's kind of like, you know, I guess there's no concrete goal, there's no outcome, there's no measure. It's kind of like, you know, hedonistic and wasteful. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, I, I don't like this perspective. It's I, I really try to, whatever I do, just, I do want to enjoy it. I do want to have fun and I do want to play. And I don't subscribe to the idea that things need to be serious and you know goal driven in order to be valuable to me to others or society mm -hmm. yeah play play is a great thing like as adults i don't know why we become so resistant to just having fun and playing around like we all obviously go out and have fun and we know how to do that but yeah it, it's funny like how i just love like how kids will just they don't have these kind of barriers. They're just focused and playing and, you know, they can play with a, a truck for like an hour if, if they're in the right spot. And 
we don't judge that at all. We don't think like, look at this kid playing, you know? And some reason uh, adults have this, I think it's societal, we kind of um, all collectively apply this pressure to each other, like, oh, you're being immature or you're playing. But think about how much joy can come from just, uh, from just exploring. It really, what is play? Play is like exploration. Mm-hmm. You're sort of exploring something, uh, seeing what can come of it. And, and, and it's hilarious to me that we have this kind of, expectation that as soon as you hit a certain age like you shouldn't be playing obviously there's context for it uh when you want to try and get stuff done and somebody's just goofing around or playing like like hey this is kind of we're trying to be productive here but this is also not necessary i I don't know i think play like you you go and shoot basketball sometimes right everyone (laughs) like i i yeah in the pandemic during the pandemic yeah but okay but whatever it's a very you're just playing around you're not trying to mm-hmm. make it to the nba just the, yeah just a way to uh you know be fit be fit and have fun <laughs> okay but i mean so so i like to just take these extremes like imagine if you just try and measure everything you do for the rest of your life like you have to be the best you have to do this you have to do this like if you if you fell into that extreme all the way through like looking back what does that look like it just looks super rigid and likewise, if you do the extreme of playing the whole time, perhaps you might look back and say like, mm, maybe I didn't accomplish something as um, foundational as I could have. Did I reach my potential? But there's a balance to be found between this kind of like order and chaos. And I don't even think play is chaos. Like play is, it's like you're on the edge of discovering something. And I think that is why I like conversation because for me, conversation is play. Like. I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go. I'm not sure how our ideas are going to uh, emerge. But I think collectively, we're, we're playing right now. I mean, there's, I want to know how you think, and I want to know how you think. And maybe if I hear how both of you think, then I'm going to be able to, um, yeah, I'm going to go beyond myself. It's It's a loss of the ego. It's a loss of the sense of self because, you know, we're having fun and mm-hmm. talking about Bergson, you know, without jumping straight into Bergson, but that that's, that's an interesting thing that he's doing, right? Creative evolution is like his main, his main book. And he, he, he's really talking about like process, like process is almost all of life, you know? So, we're constantly measuring ourselves. There's a destination, there's an end, there's a beginning. We have all these kind of like timestamps, but everything we're really doing is process. I just know that with my own, how my brain works is like, I can get distracted from process and start thinking about outcome and thinking about how is this gonna look and how can this be in the end? Um, but then I'm not actually in the moment. You know, I'm just stuck in this like future planning stage of, desired outcome so i would love to hear how you guys think about this because hmm. what well, well, what we i mean we we touched on this in the in the last time tori that i i always just kind of go back to the idea that first we have we have to speak to the fact that we have once again and maybe it's it's annoying to repeat that but we have the privilege to play we have the privilege to just kind of sit here and talk and not worry about 
a lot of things that many people worry about day to day, moment to moment, and and um, and what you're mentioning is that that like I I think if if you let's say you're at that we're at that point to be able to to just explore ourselves, it be, be be creative, and we should do it for the sake of just doing it and exploring. Is that not just is that it's not hedonistic, but it's not like what what separates that i mean not having a certain goal but like obviously if you're a surgeon or you're an air traffic controller you need like you need to focus and do a certain thing like you have outcomes like you can't just kind of play so there's there's room for play outside of necess- like society needs to run that you can't play with trucks for an hour as an adult if you want society to to continue to kind of function sure. in a lot of ways so yeah, how do we balance is how we've organized ourselves? Um, how do we how do we then how can we shift to if if we if we value play more um, and creativity and exploration of that? How do we give everyone that access to do that um, and 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 value that more if that's what we value as a society? Because that's certainly not what we value, right? That's like that's what millionaires do, right? Yeah. They, they play. They play with their yachts and, and things like that. I think yeah, that's... I've got, I think, two thoughts on that. There's... And I'm gonna... I want to do the, the name drop because Tori already went ahead and um, brought up Bergson and I'm gonna bring up my favorite Wittgenstein. Oh, yeah. um, just kind of like, you know, on the idea of like linguistic confusions because we're talking about play mm-hmm. and... You just mentioned also privilege, and I think those the, the thought you just described is I think very natural. But even when Tori was describing kind of like the children's playing with a with with a truck, um, I think there's this misconception of play being like this uh, of play being unbounded chaos. But all forms of play have rules, right? That's that's what makes it fun because we when we play, we usually have a certain kind of like constraint. I don't know. Um, um, people doing parkour or free runners, um, it might look kind of boring to an uh, outsider, but they sometimes put up challenges. You know, like I'm gonna cover this gap. I want to land with both feet, um, and then kind of like stabilize myself. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly to the baby playing with the truck, there's a certain rule set. It's pretend like that baby is um, pretend like, kind of pretending to be a truck driver. And kind of like sticking to the limitations of you know the room or the garden so i think play does not necessarily mean that you know we just like adrift in utter chaos and like there's no direction um and the other thing um which is i really re- privilege uh Irfan, you just brought it up and the idea of kind of like even in the last, yeah, in the last uh, episode, there was a kind of like I found like a bigger theme, right? The idea of um, kind of like our responsibility or um, our capacities to do better, to contribute good to society, and how to navigate that with your own like what is available to you, to your resources. Um, and I find I found a recent um, distinction that was really helpful, but also interesting to me. And I would love to hear what you guys think about it. When we talk about privilege, there's certain privileges that are human rights. It's kind of like, and I think the play is a privilege in the sense that 
every person should be able to play. The bad privileges we often talk about are privileges are things that nobody should have. The privilege of a billionaire to influence a society, the privilege of, um, uh, let's say, men jog at night without worry. Um, oh, actually, I'm going to turn it around. Everybody should have that again. So I'm kind of like, um, right. this distinction was really interesting to me to kind of like not throw, throw everything into that bucket of privilege because there's a subtle difference between play everybody should have. Also, like you guys talked about dancing and kind of like going to a concert, right? Um, I think those things are exactly the kind of things like everybody has the right to, to enjoy themselves, um, to, 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 to recover, to um, just have fun and live a fulfilling life. Um, yeah, I found that really helpful. So, But are we not, I mean, I agree uh, wholeheartedly, but are, how do we, like we're, we're a small percentage, let's say, who have have that current privilege to to run at night as as men for mm. example without worry um if we continue to do that right because mm. it's a human right right then what changes right H how do we if if we want that to be a human right really a, a universal human right how do we achieve that and and feel feel that yeah I, I agree it should be it should be something these these should be things that we value and that everyone has access to um to do but we're obviously not there mm -hmm. and if we do that when we have the chance to do it are we not perpetual like we're, we're continuing like the status quo in a way without affecting any kind of positive change for others who don't have that just like the millionaire right is is in, is in a bubble who can do that thing um, and is not worried about, you know, other people not being able to have that access. That's the only. That's the only issue I have with it. Right? It's not like I'm saying we're you're, you're talking about being like Caligula and mm -hmm. being hedonistic for the sake of just like you know you have infinite resources and whatever. Just do whatever you want with everything. But you're actually getting value from exploring you know whatever you want to call it play being creative um just exploring your mind uh, in, in any capacity that you can and hopefully everyone has that capacity uh, that ability or that access i should say how do we give everyone that access or should we i mean or should we just go about our our own individual creative outlets that we have access to because it's a finite life and you know, what are you going to do with that, if not explore that? That's really interesting. When you guys were talking about all of these, it, it, it these are really tricky questions. And especially, I think your example, the way you just put it, kind of like just um, perpetuating and continuing the status quo is, it's troublesome. It's tricky. It's really, um, I think, something that, should make anybody stop and think about it um and while i don't have any concrete answers because i think my first thought was that it, there's a day like kind of like it, it, this reminds me of kind of like the the danger of absolutes of binaries right to do or not to do yeah. and i think it's more nuanced than this it's um i'm not sure if it's exactly a good example we can do things in parallel, like, right? Yeah, and it's kind of like this idea, like in, 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 in Austria. Remember, 
many years ago, but the topic resurf resurfaced recently um, with uh, protests going on in Iran at the moment. Um, it's about kind of like um, um, uh, women, um, uh, the, what is it called? The, uh, veal? Ve the hijab. No. Yeah, we're wearing hijab or in general kind of like um, wearing head um, headdresses and head head um, scarves. Head scarves. Yeah. And there was kind of like there is this particular movement of in, in Austria to kind of like ban it, mm -hmm. which absolutely misses kind of like the actual point of um, giving women like bodily sovereignty, right? Like the only solution to that is to actually leave that decision to the woman instead of going with this black or white binary in of kind of like either like encouraging it or kind of like or kind of uh, not encouraging either kind of like enforcing it yeah or completely banning it mm -hmm. so we can like maybe this is one to cut because i'm not sure if it actually makes sense <laughs> but anyway I just no, but said, obviously i mean i think it's, it's, it's hard to disagree on that right yeah it's kind of like when it, i think a lot of questions break down into like actually nuances because if we stay at the level of like these big ideas we don't we, we can't get anywhere and similarly like when we guys went like last in the last conversation you were talking about doing good and like the, your impact the one thing i i would love to hear or kind of like your thought on is um for me i think with my personal recent kind of like what ha like my personal journey in academia which always has these like grand ideas right within academia we like to talk about changing the world for for a better kind of like systemic change structural change achieving like these big universal truths and betterments and goods yeah. and i've been trying to i think break with that tradition with that things and really just hone in and kind of like focus on on the, on the local and small and kind of like the immediate which translated to me for kind of like trying better and trying harder to be a good friend a good partner, a good, I don't know, brother, a better son. Um, and that's why I really enjoyed our recent conversations in the last year about kind of like a community, you know, how to build, how to, like, what does it mean to be a community member and kind of like uh, the idea of the, like of, an, of, of, of a co-op space among friends to just, you know, pursue our, um, our own personal interests while at the same time maybe, you know, talking about that kind of change, the bigger, like, the bigger good mm -hmm. so i've been thinking about this in terms of scale and while i don't have a definite definitive answer i'm kind of i think hoping that things kind of like scale up instead of talking about the immediate big solution from the top focusing on the small and hoping that kind of like you know reproduces upwards right yeah that that, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, this is what we talked about last time too, is that, you know, everyone works, you, you have everyone on their individual level, right, at that scale, doing their own thing, trying to make their own positive contributions, doing their own, having their own um, creative outlets, not for the sake of necessarily changing the world, but that creativity, I think we can all agree has a positive outcome on humanity when if i think we were saying like what what are some of the goals what are the goals will we want we would agree on that we want people to have is is everyone to have that ability to explore their own creativity right if everyone in the world has a similar access to 
the resources to be to explore their own creativities over time you know that think of all of the the time wasted of of human resources that could be otherwise spent in exploration of that mm -hmm. and where we would be as a collective if we were all kind of exploring that and, and being able to reach out to each other and connect with each other on those levels um, which I know I know we are like but it's not to the sense it's not to the scale like that we could be doing it that you're mentioning like if you if, if everyone is sort of operating like yeah we could have like a a small co-op space here with friends and things like that that's one scale and then you have much larger um, communities that that have um, I guess it's just scale of resources as well like what what you can do with that and you just the, uh, um, what you just said at the end um, also reminded me of so in in a, in, a, in a class that I'm doing right now we read a paper and um, which I guess I can actually bring up the whole thing it's kind of interesting so the, the reading group I'm part of at the moment is about um, radical imagination hmm. which um, within kind of like input so and specifically it's about kind of like um, new scholarly methods um, specifically in the in kind of sociology and kind of like the social sciences and the question here is that overcoming this challenge of novelty under capitalism and neoliberalism um, has its own kind of like characteristic where we think according to certain like um, larger values and kind of like tra trajectorism Hard word um, is one of those, for instance, where kind of there's an idea that if we do the right things, there's a trajectory that is being followed, and kind of like, um, right. especially like this is relates to kind of like you know the the way technology is used, the way we engage with technology is kind of like this whole idea of like, ah, oh, yeah, if we do set these right things in place, we will get from X Y Z to this and that, um, and in radical imagine like radical imagine imaginative methods methods um, are about exploring ways of kind of breaking out of the existing structures and narratives imposed by capitalism and neoliberalism. Mm. Um, and in a way, that has been like really interesting to me because it, it comes back about come back comes back to creativity, where how can we truly embrace creative creativity or how can we truly embrace values and ways of thinking, ways of being um, that are kind of like breaking out of all the problems that you have been describing kind of like and i guess i don't know for a lot of leftists it's pretty clear that you know capitalism is the big uh baddie in the room with all the other isms but um we'll cut that out for the sponsors <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so it is it is really difficult and So what do you yeah. think? If I quantify it, we've spent fifty percent of our time being creative, <laughs> and fifty percent of our time helping others be creative. Or we could choose the best creative people and put them on creative, and the best people on, which is exactly what is done now. Who decides? <laughs> do you decide? <laughs> you know, it's, this is this is interesting because 
Uh, I think capitalism is obviously a problem, but I don't think capitalism is necessarily uh, the root of all problems. Like what we're describing right now is uh, a certain way of thinking that leads to certain um, ways of doing things. So again, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a book, The Master and His Emissary, uh, Ian McGilchrist, and basically he talks about this oscillation between hemispheres that happens throughout generations. Jingle. Mm-hmm. There's a jingle right there, but but here but but here's the thing, right? There there were definitely periods of time where there was less language, where there was less, um, you know, language is left hemisphere, right? There was less language, there was less structure, there was less orderliness, right? We don't have to go far back to to realize this. However, in our evolution, that swings, and then you get geometry you get all of these kind of uh, amazing realizations that seem to be um, pattern recognition in this kind of process of like um, living 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 and then taking this information and then storing it somewhere and it goes back and forth I mean like he, he mentions how uh, writing right so right now in the English language uh, in most parts of the Western world we're writing left to right Right? But we know that obviously some cultures are going to write right to left. Uh, there was a time where the Greeks wrote left to right, down a line, right to left. Left to right, what? down a line. It didn't last long. Right? <laughs> I didn't know but nonetheless, th- these are like cultural memes. right? These are things that become a way of thinking. And so even right hand, left hand, I mean, are you guys right handed or left handed? Right handed. Right handed, yeah. Yeah, like the majority of people are right handed. Right hand left side of the body, left side of the brain, right? Left hand, right side of the brain. And so... We blame the Greeks? <laughs> it's all the Greeks. <laughs> it's capitalism. Right? <laughs> uh, but it's, 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 it's like, it's not just isolated. I mean, ca- capitalism, I believe, is a uh, root of many of the problems. However, the capitalism emerges from the idea of, like, we can, we can project outcomes, we can uh, we can print a certain amount of money and, and stimulate an economy. All of this is like we can measure things, but we we should be really looking like the world is nature is dynamic, right? The reason why our economies are usually in falter is because we have these like unrealistic charts to predict the future. Which can you guys predict the future tomorrow? Like, are, do you know what's going to happen? Right? You don't. But you're gonna have a chart that's gonna try and tell you what's gonna happen in the next thirty years in the economy. I mean, obviously there's some there's some utility to that, but to be so um, obsessed with that, as opposed to looking at like the leaves fall and realizing like we should know that it's fall because the leaves are falling, not because we have a calendar that tells us that it's fall, right? But everything is being so out of balance. It's just a from a from like a collective consciousness perspective, we're just kind of out of balance, and the balance has served a purpose to a certain degree, right? But it 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 needs to go beyond. It's it's too Newtonian, right? Like taking that idea and then applying that to all fields, it only serves a purpose to a certain degree. But there's more than that. There's more than just dissecting. I mean, like. Go to a Western doctor and they're going to help you. They're going to be specific. and They're going to look at the acute part of the body that's injured and they'll have a solution for it. A Band-Aid, a medicine. Go to a Chinese doctor 
uh, that practices Chinese medicine, they look at the whole system, right? We need more systems thinking as opposed to just um, this, this way, this unbalanced way of thinking across society. I mean, I might be wrong about this, but I would love to hear how you guys think about this because I'm not saying that this measurement and this category, uh, categorization isn't useful. It's super useful, right? But also to the other degree, like we need to be using our full brains here, right? For everything. And as a species, we need to be using both. Even the distinction actually, like because you just brought up the left uh, left brain, right? But this distinction, right? This again, we are again playing with binaries as if sure. there was only creative or uh, the more rational mode. But I'm pretty sure that in over like human, like the, 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 the whole lifetime of humanity, um, these concepts actually weren't really as words like important. Right. People were creative and creativity was needed to achieve something and people did more pragmatic and more rational actions when those were needed. It's even the distinction itself is actually serving the purpose of um, this I think it's really like this 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 mode you're just describing. I understand I think what you mean and I actually agree kinda like that just po- pointing the finger and blaming capitalism is often not enough. Um, for me, in in, in kind of like my, in the last couple of years, I'm I'm really not well read in that area. I I was lucky enough to talk with, uh, uh, for instance, my friend Hannah, who's um, way more um, eloquent uh, when it comes to decolonial theory. But in a way. From a personal experience, like uh, let's say the topic of uh, kind of like racism, for me, it was really eye-opening to kind of realize that there's there's an underlying mode of thinking, a mode of op- like operation that kind of like feeds into what we nowadays you know observe a critique as like oh capitalism is bad, racism is bad, sexism is bad, and it's and I'm not sure if this is exactly the right answer, but so far I think the word that I've arrived at is kind of like, it's a dangerous one because it has a lot of meanings, but kind of like the, a colonial mindset of kind of like individualistic and a domineering mindset that you are not only entitled to kind of like, entitled to, let's say just certain things in life, but also kind of like the, the mindset that we need to define that other no matter how you engage with them, which is contrast, like contrasted to a mindset where you first recognize the collective. And, and I think fully committing to this kind of thinking would even maybe, coming back to kind of like this idea of like creative and um, what's a good word for the other mode? Like a rational, I don't know. Hmm. A mechanistic, like mechanical way. Both are needed, yeah. and it's kind of stupid at a societal level to kind of like really take these labels, put them on people, and limit in a way um, not only people's kind of like um, personas, identities, individualities, but also on top of that. And this is where I will full on go on to like a critique of, ca- critique of capitalism. Really provide different means to people who are either in one area or the other. It's the whole thing about kind of like right. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous that teachers, artists, like, there's so many professions that are for no fucking reason like paid way less than um, somebody who's working on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. 
Right. Let's keep this evergreen. <laughs> uh, See how creative it was about that. <laughs> now, I, I think what you're touching on is what we touched on earlier is uh, offline was about specialization versus, um, you know, the expo- You know, just being free to explore like you did in your life. These um, different outlets that you, you know, you find connection with. And, and many people in history have, you know, I think there's so much more value in being able to not be specialized. We've created a society where you, we require specialization because that's how our society is now designed. Um, and you were mentioning like, like our, our, our medicine, Western medicine, you know, it's, it's, it's all about specialization, right? It's, if you, if we can kind of go, how do we go beyond that? uh to to explore to not value that as much like do you think that you're um as much as comfortable you are talking about it like do you think you're being uh, having been diagnosed having adhd do you think that helps you explore other like it just makes your brain not want to necessarily be pigeonholed in one mm-hmm. thing and do you think that's more valuable do you think there's just something helpful in, i don't think it's sense? actually i really don't think it makes me more valuable it's not you, you you like i'm not saying like it but do you think it's a helpful no i should put it that way do you think it, it kind of helps push you to explore different things and do you find value in exploring different things versus say someone who spends 30 40 years of their lives focused on one single discipline which many people do and mm-hmm. that's what our society almost demands in a lot of in this society in the west anyway i think i'm in a in the very lucky or privileged position to be able to say that the diagnosis allowed me to in a way embrace myself and accept myself as who I am, um, because the 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 pressure I was kind of like experiencing was, um, and this is where again labels come in, kind of like the idea of like you know being that person who is uh, distracted, lazy, undisciplined. Like I I don't finish things that I start. These I think were the external labels that. I was imposing on myself because also I have luckily a really supportive family and friends who wouldn't throw these labels at me, but like I would get like I would get it in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and the diagnosis was beautiful because it provides a narrative. And I think I want to be careful here because what I don't overly love is kind of like building kind of like evolutionary arguments because there's certain stories out there that, you know, people with ADHD were super important because um, they were the people who would um, go and explore, try and eat the berry and die so the other people know that you can't eat it. Oh, we have you to thank for all of our like, yeah, dominant yeah, genes. exactly. That's, that's, why, uh, that's why Emily and everybody's always worried when I climb around things. and Right. Um, no, but those stories are nice and I think important in the kind of like process of being diagnosed and kind of like uh, kind of like 
understanding yourself and like accepting um, understanding and accepting the diagnosis but I really just feel I think it was really valuable to me um, because I'm now just able to embrace um, you know these let's call it now creative um, uh, desires instead of trying to suppress them and shoehorn them into a box you know that's supposed to be productive or kind of like um, academic or I don't know there's, there's, we have enough of those boxes and yeah. um, we even like very early on brought up kind of like laziness right what it, what it means and right so I okay. think it was helpful but in a very like personal way and this is right. I think also important to say that not everybody like a very common um, ADHD um, phenomenon is after a diagnosis people actually go through a phase of um, depression and struggle right um, not only that, that has to do with kind of like the regrets of all the trauma and all the past kind of like um, experiences, but also the realization of kind of kind of like a dark outlook because a lot of people do not have the um, you know the luck to be just doing whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will have to keep working their nine to five job. Yeah. Um, but that's and in those cases, I think such a diagnosis can also probably be just difficult. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, touching on this a little bit further, like, don't you think it's the type of diagnosis that only seems negative in a society, in a system where we've created, uh, uh, like, successes if you can stay on task on one thing and specialized on one thing uh, for a long period of time but like why is that valuable right and mm. it's almost like if you have uh, attention deficit disorder why is it a disorder mm-hmm. it's a disorder because we created an ordered system that does not value that kind of thinking like uh, why is it a negative it, it, it has a negative connotation right uh, automatically but why? And that's what I'm really asking is like, do you, don't you think that feeling, okay, so let's say, let's say you accept this diagnosis, but the diagnosis itself, which is, I don't think a disability on like, let's say, like a physical disability of, you know, clearly if, if you cannot um, see, you know, a sensory deprivation or physical deprivation like that limits your uh, your your contact with the physical world but this is this is a little bit different in the sense that it, it it is how you engage in the in the society we've created and how you can be in like feel ostracized or included in that society and it's i think this is actually a bit more of a tricky question because um I think it's very personal. Yeah, um, sure. Also, I am. I will admit um, when we come when it comes to kind of like like formal like like um, sorry semantics like disability has like there's there's a whole um, there's 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 a field and there's um, activism. It's it's it's. I think it's a word that is for good reasons scrutinized, and we need to be kind of like careful about what we mean with it yeah but i do think with i think those dimensions that you just described of uh like in kind of like about adhd or add 
um, do make sense, but um, I would, in response, I would say that um, I think an often overlooked aspect. I think that's the whole narrative. Like that's the whole pro- the the whole problematic. Hmm. The whole problem of ADD is that we all have the idea of kind of like the, and it's especially great because it's also so hardcore gendered. The idea of the kind of like the the boy who's just like. Um, running around and can't sit still. Right. Uh, whereas um, ADD is um, way more complex. And I think I'm just going to go into the side where um, in the process of diagnosing uh, ADD, there's also a whole range of questions and uh, around your emotional well-being and your emotional skills, your, the way you kind of like engage with people. Okay. And I think... It is fair to say, like, I think it is, it's okay to call it a disability, again, in the sense that um, it shouldn't be dehumanizing, but it's important to acknowledge that a person with ADD um, engages with the world in a certain way mm-hmm. that will put them at disadvantage in our current society. Right, right. And this is, I think, the, the thing you kind of want to say, right? Yeah, Which, yeah. Which is which is also true for many other um, disabilities. Um, I think my father is deaf, and I do not consider him in any way as a disabled person in the sense, kind of like as a as an inferior or less human person. But it's also true that society is, um, in most places, uh, made for hearing people. Mm. So there's just going to be times where my dad will require assistance mm-hmm. um, by. My mom, but me, or his family, friends, um, and I think that I think that actually just like applies to ADD as well. Yeah, makes sense. You know, um, can, can we string on that because uh, th- through necessity we we can become innovative, right? And so, um, speaking about your father, you know, not being able to communicate in that way, uh, how do you feel like that actually helped you? I, like for, for me, I, I don't know what it looked like, but I can imagine you uh, with your father. You have to be super creative to try and adapt and uh, understand, and he has to be super creative to try and communicate, right? Because we're not using um, words here, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty cool because it ties into a little bit about the psychology. There's communication, and sign is very creative, like. You know, it's we were joking about my my and I, a PhD, you know, thesis before, but right, but to yeah. communicate in sign, like I don't speak sign, I don't, I don't, um, you, I don't know how to do sign language. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, did you find like you had to be very creative in your communication growing I would, up? Growing up, actually, no, because I was, I think that's really interesting because growing up, I didn't have that experience because it's basically. Kind of like, I think technically sign language was my first language because wow. it's, uh, it's 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 well studied and known that um, babies' first like nonverbal communication happens before verbal communication for children. Mm-hmm. So I was probably talking to my dad before I was talking verbally with my family. Wow. Um, but um, this this creative part and the more subtle notions like I realized I kind of like started to think about those things way way later like in austria i grew up speaking mongolian sign language with my father and in university i then took an austrian sign language course um 
And it was through the formal process of learning a new sign language that I realized what kind of skills I had acquired in just being a kind of like a native uh, right. speaker. Mm-hmm. And those are just very subtle cues about nonverbal communication. One of my favorite, absolute favorite, favorite things about my father is um, he will make fun of anybody. It does not matter if that person is able to speak sign language. Right. And the beautiful thing is even it does not matter where the person is from because they can't like my dad doesn't speak anyways. Right. But his his ability to just perceive emotions to express himself in nonverbal ways is huh. it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's, and it's you're one of the few to people watch. to 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 be able to observe and experience that. What a yeah, what a unique experience. It's for amazing. You yeah. Can you do some sign for the podcast here? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love that, though, because, uh, you know, humor is creative, right? And Mm. kind of poking fun at people is very creative in in so many ways. So uh, I think I think creativity is a natural part of being a human. I think it's part of the the entire process the process of our evolution where we're going where we've been i think it's just part of the the essence uh there's creation happening all the time sometimes it's through uh, necessity you get put you know you get put into a corner and you got to get out of there you, you, you can find a solution right like and those solutions can seem like if we get into the same problems over and over again then it seems useful to be like hey when this problem occurs, here is a solution. L- let's just remind ourselves of this. And and I would I, I know very little about like genetics, but I would imagine that that information is being passed down. Um, you know that is why our nervous systems just like fire up when we perceive danger, right? That's not necessarily something that we're learning. I, I think that's like hmm. I think that's coded into us. And how much of this gets passed down? How far? At what point, like, we are living in such a short time span, right? I mean, we, we see such a small glimpse of the entire picture. Uh, how many billion years? The entire universe? 13.8. Yeah. I don't know if it's accurate. It, it, it's, it's... Plus or minus. <laughs> right, so like, and what are we, not even 45, right? 40, right? So it's like, mm. what, what a small window. And... For us to, yeah, of course, this this all seems creative to to me, and I think context and situation will shape how we go back and forth. They're, they're not separate. It's just that there's certain utilities for both, and what's what seems to be appropriate in uh, each society. Because obviously, there's division in like where we grow up and. Um, there's going to be different innovations happening in different places, but then also there's similar innovations happening in completely different places without any connection, you know? Yeah. And so, so I think we are, uh, creative by necessity some, sometimes and, and maybe there's not enough necessity, you know, like the fact that we have this climate change problem, (laughs) lingering over us for you know you you don't have to read too far back a couple decades and like this isn't new right people have been talking about this for quite a long time but yet we have for some reason we can't see it and we can't innovate quick enough or we can't we don't uh recognize the urgency 
of this, and I, I think this is how uh, I would like to understand how both of you see this element of time. Uh, you know, it's still about creativity, but why is it so hard for us to to understand the um, the duration? Why is it so hard for us to understand length of time? And you know, everybody, when you're in a moment of anxiety for example nothing feels more more um urgent than that mm -hmm. right but when we're talking about a global climate catastrophe it's so difficult for for me to really be like we need to take like action immediately and i think this ties into what you're talking about like is it enough for us to just be playing around and having fun or is it like we're, we're all um missing something here and we don't have enough. We don't have enough vision to. Yeah. On an everyday, your chess example is really good. I think when I was younger, I tried the whole thing of ignoring, you know, the boring part, kind of like studying openings, studying end games, and just brute force it with creative, fun play in the middle game. Yeah. But I very, very clearly hit a wall, and it was I don't know. I was fifteen, I think, and. A lot of other players started beating me that previously I was beating quite easily. Yeah. So I think there's just a truth to kind of like it needs there needs to be a balance. But I don't want to kind of like subscribe to the idea that you know one I don't know it's, it's weird there's this kind of like this gatekeeping I just don't like. You're super right, but I think that has to do with measurable outcomes. Like um, with regards to the arts, I think it's different. You know. With, with chess, for sure, we need to, there's like a measurable outcome, like this is what, this is how you win. Mm -hmm. This is what this looks like when it's done right. Um, but I don't think the same can, I, I think when we're talking about things like art, music, we can all say, oh, this is like the best uh, singer. You can rank, but that's left hemisphere just all the way through trying to be like, this is a category. And hemisphere name drop, <laughs> right? Right, but 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 you know what I mean. Like we're measuring things, but obviously you guys need a tagline. Sorry, like whenever like hemisphere, you gotta play the jingle or yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can make it right now. What do you think? Uh, how would it go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that, but but that's it. I think because so much of our society, we're trying to measure things, but a lot of consciousness doesn't have to be measured. I mean. Mm. Um, you know take take painting and yeah we can talk about technical painting but then you know give a child uh free free reign of what they do it's super creative mm -hmm. maybe no technicality at all and who's to say that that's less valuable I, I i think it works in both ways it's just that we have many things that we're measuring and we're ranking yeah and this kind of new numerical system that we have in our thinking makes sense for a lot of things mm. it, it obviously benefits us to a certain degree to have this line of thinking for the sciences for math for sending things to the moon right like we need to have that thinking otherwise we don't accomplish these things however it doesn't need to be applied to all aspects of society I think that's a great point on that